So we are continuing the series that we started last week on the life of Gideon. And just as we saw um, last week that uh, this whole kind of phase of, of Israel's history, this is now after, again, Moses brings them out of Egypt, and then Joshua uh, takes them after the desert wanderings, takes them into the promised land, and they settle into the land of the Canaanites. And yet we see that they, even through that, they did not do exactly everything that God commanded them to do. They were supposed to wipe out the people um, in, in, uh, and all the Canaanites so that there would not be influence into them and, and, and to pull them off of what God wanted them to do. And again, we, we started last week of looking at this somewhat kind of confusing phase of Israel's history uh, as we get into the phase of the judges. And again, this is a time where they do not have an earthly king yet. That's the next phase of their history, right? And because God was supposed to be their king. Right? And, and so they didn't have an earthly king, they had a godly king in Yahweh. And yet, as they settled into the promised land and, and the Canaanites, they, they left them and still living there, and their culture permeated Israelite culture. And we saw last week how, how God uh, you know, raised up Gideon as, as a judge, as somebody to lead the nation. Right? Uh, um, but yet, we also saw that as the intro into the book of Judges, how, how they, they get caught in this cycle of sin, Right, that pulls them away, and they, they, they worship other idols or other gods, and then uh, they hit this, this time of struggle, and then God raises up a judge to lead them to, towards repentance and, and victory, and then they find new forgiveness, and, and, but eventually get comfortable again and fall into sin. But yet every time this cycle continues with every judge, they get further and further away from God. Right? The sin gets more extreme, right? and even when they come back, they... They, they stay in this time of prominence and in shorter and shorter times, right? And, and as we saw in our small groups that followed up the sermon this last week, we watched the entire video of, of the, the basis of judges and through that. And, and yet we see this phrase that comes out through the last half of the book that says is it, that during this time, Israel had no king. And they did what was right in their own eyes. And again, just as we see, these stories that are, that are in the book of Judges are tragic, they are violent, they are far from God's design, right? And, and yet, with every cycle that we saw last week, they get further and further away, and to a point where we see this thin theme that ends the book of saying they had no king, right? And they just did whatever seemed right in their own eyes, right? And it is from this point where they're so far away from God and broken Right, that God raises up then a, a, an, an earthly king to bring them back to focus on that. And that's when we see King Saul raised up. And so with that said, like I said, last week we saw that God called Gideon up as one of these judges. Right? And in his first action as God's chosen judge, he was sent to tear down the altar that was built towards Baal, a foreign god, and replace it with an altar and a sacrifice to Yahweh, right? And we see that was, that was Gideon's first act as this, uh, this anointed judge of God. And last week, we saw the big idea that came out of this, this first inter- encounter with Gideon was that God's plan is bigger than my viewpoint. Okay, and that was our big idea from last week. Again, if you didn't see the message last week, it is available online. You can go and watch it, again, uh, through podcast and, and video. Um, but then now that leads us now to this week as Gideon now takes on his first big challenge as, as, a, as the judge raised up by God. 
Okay, he, he started out, he kind of he started out with pointing them back to Yahweh and, and through this, and now his the next thing that God tells him to do is to lead Israel into battle against the Midianites. Okay, and to to get them out of their life and again to focus them back on where they're supposed to be. But our big idea for the message today, okay, is that with God, the math doesn't need to make sense. Okay, with God, the math doesn't need to make sense. Okay, and this is our big idea that we're going to carry throughout the message today. Like I said, we started with knowing that God's plan is bigger than my viewpoint, and now today, right, we see that with God, the math doesn't need to make sense. Now, that statement will make more sense as we see what happens in this next uh, few passages in Gideon's life. Okay, but we are going to now pick up the story right where we left off last week in Judges chapter 6, and we're going to start with verse 33. So if you have your Bible with you today, I invite you to open with me to Judges chapter 6. If you don't have your own Bible, you don't have it with you today, there are Bibles provided for you in the seat pockets that you're welcome to use. You'll notice on the outline is the page numbers of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. Yeah, we're going to pick up here in Judges uh, chapter 6, starting at verse 33. Okay, where it says, Soon afterward, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon, and he blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abizar came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. And then Gideon said to God, If you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowlful of water. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. So we're going to pause there. Okay, and and as, we, as we do that, we see Gideon kind of move into this next phase of his, of his faith journey and of this transformation that God is, is giving him, and as he continues to to raise up as this leader, and, and God moves him into this next phase. And again, Gideon reaches this next phase of his journey, and God empowers him to take action. Again, the whole point of being a judge, right, as God raises up this leader, is the fact that it's not under his own power. He's, he's going to accomplish all this through God's power. Now, there are several times throughout Scripture, and especially in the Old Testament, before the Holy Spirit was given, Okay, because again, the Holy Spirit was not on every believer like he is today, right? Before Jesus and before that happens in, in Acts chapter 2, right? So especially in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, though, we see comes and anoints and comes down on people for specific times and specific instances. Okay, and that's exactly what we see happen here. And we see in verse 34, it says, The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. So again, the Holy Spirit comes down on Gideon as God has called him out to be a judge and to, to lead Israel against this Midianite army. And, you know, this is, to me, is a very cool word picture. 
right? The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Again, as we think about that analogy, right, of, of obviously it was with God's power, and that's what was well, the source of everything that Gideon accomplishes is from God and his power, but, but yet the Spirit clothed Gideon. Right, when you think about clothes, right, again, it, it surrounded him. Right, it, it covered him in God's presence. Right, and when we think about our clothes, obviously, you put on your clothes, right, your clothes go with you wherever you go. At least, at least we hope they do. Right? So again, the Spirit of God clothes over Gideon. So wherever Gideon goes, God goes with him. Right, and his Spirit goes with him. And also, again, you, you can feel your clothes on your body, right? Gideon could feel God's presence. Right? And with that presence comes a confidence. A confidence, again, that Gideon did not have before this time. Because, right? again, if we remember, right, we, we see this, this progression of Gideon and this newfound confidence that comes as God continues to move him further along in his own spiritual journey. Because remember, where did Gideon start last week? Right, we saw last week Gideon starts of saying, I'm the weakest of the weak. You can't do anything through me. Right, and now we see as Gideon continues to move forward in his journey, we see this progression of Gideon. Right, because now here we see Gideon move into a newfound confidence. Again, last week, right, he was, he, again, he gave the attitude we saw in the past last week. He's like, no, I, I talked with God's angel. I'm going to die. Right, like, I'm not worthy of any of this. And yet here now we see as God's spirit clothes over Gideon and he starts to work through all of the things that God's called him to do, right, is now Gideon comes with a newfound confidence because today he's not cowering from God or, or pushing back and saying, I'm the weakest of the weak. Now we see Gideon actually comes back to God and, and even tests God with his fleece. Right, and he comes to him with a completely different confidence than he's ever had before. Okay, and we see this confidence come out in him right, in verses 36 and 37. When Gideon literally kind of talks back to God and even challenges God in this moment. And he says, if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, then prove it to me in this way. And then he goes on and, and explains out this, this whole fleece thing. Again, this is, a, this is a confidence in Gideon that we've never seen before. Again, where does this come from? We see this progression in Gideon as he continues to move forward in his faith journey, as God continues to transform him into what he needs to be to accomplish everything that God needs him to accomplish. Right? And we see Gideon continue to move forward. And now, as, as we say, though, now Gideon comes to him with this confidence, and he literally tests God to prove what his next steps are supposed to be. Again, he's coming, he's like, Lord, if you, if you really are going to use me, like you said you were going to use me, I, I need you to, 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 to prove that to me. Right? And Gideon, Gideon comes to him with this test. He, he literally lays out this fleece on the ground, and, and he gives God the, the terms of the test and says, here, God, will you do this? Now, I don't know how much you have studied Scripture, but as I've gone through Scripture, I see there are many places in Scripture where God commands us to never test him. And so when I read this passage, the first thing I go through about Gideon, I'm, that, that raises up in my mind, in my heart of like, God, what's really going on here? Because this seems like it contradicts some of the other commands that were given. In fact, several places in Scripture, we are told to never test the Lord. 
fact, the first place we see this command is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Okay, and that's not on your outline, but you can jot that down if, if you're curious. Deuteronomy 6, 16, where it, that verse says, you must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massa. Again, this was a command given to the Israelites as they continue to, to, at the end of the desert wanderings until they move into the promised land. This was given by God before Gideon. Right? This is a command that he would have known that they all knew, do not test the Lord. And now not only there in the Old Testament, but yet Jesus literally quotes Deuteronomy 6.16 when he is in the desert being tempted by Satan. Right? Jesus quotes back different scriptures, and this is one of the verses Jesus quotes back to Satan. You do not test the Lord. And so Jesus reiterates this command again in the New Testament as he shows us the example of what a godly life should be. And so yet, you know, there are other places in Scripture where God invites us to test him. Right? And so again, here, here we go down the rabbit hole, right? Is it, this is getting... Here, we have this command, and yet we have these other places. Again, the first place, the Muhammad's most famous place where God invites us to test him is in Malachi chapter 3. Which, and this is specifically in regards to money and tithing. Okay, where God says, you know, this is what I'll do if you get, you know, bring in the whole tithe and, and trust me on all this. And, and he literally says, and test me on this. Right? And now, here we are once again, here in this place with Gideon, where Gideon is testing God with this fleece. So as I dive into this and, and start wondering, like, Lord, what's really going on here? Because I believe wholeheartedly that Scripture does not contradict itself. And yet, on the surface, it feels like it is. So, Lord, what's really going on? And and as we ask this question, it brings us to the first lesson for us today. And that is this, that the difference between putting God to the test and testing God's plans is a matter of faith. Now, I understand that that statement makes no sense to you right now, so let me, let me explain it. Okay, there is a difference, okay, between the God commands against, and Jesus reiterates in Deuteronomy 6, and in the imitation that is given in Malachi and what Gideon is doing here. Okay, there's a difference between what's going on here. These are two different things. These are separate commands. Okay, first off, right, is, is when the difference, there is a difference between putting God to the test, which is what we're commanded not to do, right, and testing out God's plans to confirm his plans. Okay, there's a, there's a difference, and the difference is a matter of faith. Okay, because it all comes down to your faith and your intention of the test. Okay, what is your intention of the test? And what is your faith being placed in? Okay, now, the, and this, this is the key to the difference. Okay, is that in, in Malachi, and even of what Gideon is doing here, right, is he is listening to God's plans, and he's trying to, again, testing out to, to test God's voice and to say, is this what God really wants for me? Now, in Deuteronomy 6 and what Satan is tempting Jesus to do is completely different. Okay, that is when we go to God and say, God, this is what I'm doing. Bless me as I do this. And say, now what's really the difference? Well, the difference, right, is one of them is I come to God and say, 
God, I know you're in control. I know your plans. I want to confirm your plans for me. Please give me the confidence I need to fulfill your plan. Okay, the other one is saying, these are my plans. And God, if you want to come with me when I do my plans, that would be great. Okay, that's the difference. Okay, one of them puts complete faith in God and in his plans. It leaves him in control. The other one puts faith in myself and my plans. And if God's a part of it, that's just gravy. That's the difference. Right, it's a matter of faith. Where is my faith placed through this test? By one of them is gaining confidence in things that we cannot see, right? which is the definition of faith in the Bible. And the other one is forcing God's hand or painting God in a corner, saying, God, if you act, you have to act this way because I've already made this decision. Right? One is an act of faith, and the other moves us further away from faith in God. How does this play out practically in our life? Right, we can see how it plays out in the way that we pray regarding this situation or decision. Right, the first, if my faith is in God, I pray, Lord, is your blessing on this? Right, I have this opportunity. Is this what you want for me? The other one is we pray, God, bless me as I do this. Right, is your blessing on this or bless me as I do it? Again, one is a question and the other is a statement. Right? One gives God control and the other keeps control for myself. One has faith in God and the other has faith in myself and my plans. The difference is faith. Right? And both of these commands are true. We are not supposed to test the Lord. Right, and saying, God, you have to work in the way that I define you to work. Right, and we're, we're commanded to not do that. Right, and yet we are given the, the, the freedom to say that I can test God's plans for me. Right, I, can, I can lay out a fleece and say, Lord, confirm in my mind and my heart that I'm following the right voice. But right, as we see that, again, Jesus gives a parable in John chapter 10. Okay, where he talks about the sheep and that he, that Jesus, God is our good shepherd. Okay, now in, in that parable in John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. Again, one of the things that Jesus makes very clear in this parable is that there is more than one voice in this world and in our own minds and our own hearts. And that we, as followers of Jesus, need to learn which voice, not just to listen to, but which voice to trust and which voice to obey. Right? And this is what's going on with this fleece. Right? And even in the Malachi passage, is God is saying, this is my will, this is my plan. Right? And go ahead and, and, and test it out Push me on it. I will be true to my plan and my will. Right? You can trust that. Right? And th this kind of test of putting out this fleece is more about gaining our own confidence that we're following the right voice and doing exactly what Jesus tells us to do is to, to decipher God's voice and to know it's God's voice. 
right, as we learn to, to tell the difference between God's voice and every other voice in this world. Because there is more than one voice. Again, as we realize that that's what Gideon's really doing here as he lays out these fleeces. Right, then my next question is, why did Gideon ask for a second sign? Right here, first he lays out, he's like, Lord, I, I know you've told me to go to, to get this army, to go conquer the Midianites. I want to just confirm that that's exactly what you're telling me. Right? And as we see that this is a part of Gideon's transformation as he's learning to hear God's voice and, and to trust God's voice. And he lays out, he says, here it is. He lays out, right, the fleece. And, and the fleece is what? The ground is dry. Right? And he finds out, I mean, God does exactly what Gideon asked. And yet, he says, like, why did he ask for a second one? Because, again, this reveals to us the fact that there were all these other voices still going on in Gideon's head. Because when you think about that, right, is, is we can explain away through humidity and, and temperature, air temperature, and direct of sunlight of how the ground would dry faster than the fleece. And so he's sitting back and all, even the voice of the world is saying, that's not really God that did that. Right, that happened naturally. We can prove it through science with all these things, right? Like that, it, there's a voice in Gideon's head still that's saying, that's not really God. Right, but no, so then the second sign, what does he do in the second sign? He reverses it, doesn't he? Okay, in fact, where the ground is all wet and the fleece stays dry. Now in this second sign, there is no way to explain that away without God's power. Right, that was a miracle. Hey, and so again, there, there's, he's continuing to decipher, to learn how to decipher through God's voice and these other voices in his life. Right? And that's why there was a second sign. God is allowing Gideon to learn to distinguish between his voice and all of the other voices in this world and in, even in his own head. Okay, and we have the same task as followers of Jesus of saying, how do I learn to decipher God's voice from every other voice in this world, and in my, own, my mind and my heart. Okay, and then we, we continue on in the story in Judges 7, 1 through 8. Okay, where it says, so, so Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all of those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. And in the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. And the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. Now, as you read this section of scripture, um, this big idea that I gave you before kind of starts to make more sense, right? Because with God, the math doesn't need to make sense. 
seems pretty obvious in this moment, doesn't it? Because we see right here, I mean, Gideon starts out with 35,000 guys. Right? That, that, that's a pretty good army. Right? And now God's like, nope, too many. Send him home, right? And he goes with the first one, um, and then another test. And again, when we see this, this big idea statement that with God, the math doesn't have to make sense, right? I don't know about you, but like my mind automatically goes to finances, right? Like, and it is true with finances and with God's way of handling money, but, but this statement is way bigger than just finances, okay? And in this moment, we see that, right? Because again, truthfully, it's not about money and tithing at all. This concept is about faith, right? Because with God, in the math doesn't have to make sense. Okay, and here we see Gideon now leads by example in putting complete faith in God and his power. Because if he did not have complete faith in God and his power, he would have never done these tests and sent men home. Right, as we see, again, um, this, this first test, and as he goes through this, right, is, is we see the real reason why God wanted to pare down this army, right? In, in Judges 7-2, it tells us, the Lord's told Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves with their own strength, right? Why did God pare down this army down to 300 men? Because he wanted there to be no question why they won, Right? Because if they take on Midian with 35,000 people, like you said, they're going to come back and be like, look what we did. Right? And God's like, that's not the point at all. Right? The point is for you to, there's no question that God is the one who brings victory. Again, it wasn't about the math at all. It was about who got the credit. Okay, God wanted no question who caused the victory. And again, when we look at our lives, Right, and the things that God calls us to do. Right? God wants the same to be true. That there's no question who gets the credit when we find victory. Because with God, the math doesn't have to make sense. Again, way beyond finances, I will tell you, many of you guys walked with, with me and my family as we walked through our adoption journey with adopting Claire. Okay, again, I will tell you, as, as, as Maureen and I sought God and to hear his voice, and God started telling us the things to do, and there were times we sat back and were like, God, that doesn't make any sense. Right, but with God, the math doesn't have to make sense. Right, and now here we are, as you see, now we have a teething baby in our house right, that reminds us every day right, that the math doesn't have to make sense because God did it. Right, this is way bigger. Again, this can apply to so many situations in your life. Right, as it applied to our adoption journey, right, we also realize that God is bigger than the doctor's diagnosis. Right, that God is bigger than the relationship that seems like it can never be fixed. Right, God is bigger than any situation you face because with God, the math doesn't have to make sense. Logic and common sense are no match for the power of God. Right, logic and common sense are no match for the power of God. Again, as we keep that in mind and in our heart, we see, again, Gideon continues through this journey. Right, we see again in verse 3, the first test that God gives him to these is that anyone who is afraid or disheartened can leave. Okay, this again is not a new test that God uses. In fact, we see it again in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 8. Okay, it says, then the officers will say, 
Is anyone here afraid or worried? If you are, you may go home before you frighten anyone else. Again, why did they use this as a standard to clear out their armies? So that that those negative attitudes did not permeate through the ones who weren't afraid. Okay, so this this was a standard that God had used before. Now, God uses it again with, with Gideon. And the interesting thing is, as we see Gideon continue to be transformed by God, realize that just a few days before this, right, Gideon would have left because he was incredibly afraid and incredibly worried. God, you can't do anything through me. Right? And yet here, now Gideon's leading these people. And after this first test, 22,000 warriors leave. But God still says that there are too many people. And so comes another test, the drinking of the water from the stream. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, this seems like a very odd test. Right, again, and yet... The point here is not the test. Right? I mean, God has a sense of humor. Right? God does weird things. Right? Yeah, again, but the point was not the test. Right? The point here was the fact that Gideon didn't even question God this time. He just does it. He goes straight to action. Right? Which is the lesson for us. And that is if we continue to journey forward in our faith, we will be transformed. And accomplish things that we never thought that we could do. Remember, just days before, Gideon would have left with that challenge, right? If you're afraid or worried, you can get out of here, and Gideon would have been in the front of the line, right? But now he's back here accomplishing things he never thought he could do, right, and sending other people home. Again, the sheep know the shepherd's voice, and they don't follow anything else. And we see here how Gideon continues to learn God's voice and follow God's voice without question. Again, Ephesians 3.20 tells us, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Again, God wants to do more in you and through you than you can even imagine is possible if we put our faith in the right place and if we learn to follow his voice, right, and move to action. And then we have the conclusion of this story, right, of this battle. And and here we see that God continues to to give Gideon more and more confidence, right, in his journey of faith. In Judges chapter 7, verses 9 through 25, where it says, The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. And that night the Lord said, Get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Purah. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged, and then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Purah and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. And the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. And the man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down in the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. And his companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. And then he turned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. He divided 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. And then he said to them, Keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me Blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too, 
all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And it was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. And then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. And they held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. And they all shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns and the lords caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to places as far away as Beth Shittah near Zerah and the other border of Abel Maloah near Tabith. Then Gideon sent for the warriors of Nephali, Asher, and Manasseh who joined in chasing the army of Midian. Gideon also sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim saying, come down to attack the Midianites. Cut them off at the shallow crossing of the Jordan River at Beth Bera. So all the men of Ephraim did as they were told. They captured Oreb and Zeb and the two Midianite commanders, killing Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. And they continued to chase the Midianites. Afterward, the Israelites brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan River. So as we continue to see the progression of Gideon's journey of faith, here instead of, of him going to God and asking for more confirmation, he recognizes God's voice right away. And what was God saying? He was giving Gideon the confirmation that he needs. Gideon doesn't even have to ask for it this time. Right? God just says, go down here, hear this, you know, and then and you'll have all the confidence you ever need. Okay, and that's exactly what he did. So, so Gideon goes down to the camp with his servant. He hears this dream and its interpretation. And then I want to point out how he responds to this confirmation. Okay, in verse 15. It says, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed and worshiped before the Lord. And then he returned to the Israelite camp and he shouted, get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. Again, how many Midianite soldiers were there? It doesn't even tell us. It says that you couldn't even count them all. Right? Gideon comes to them with 300 guys. Right? And then that they have a sure victory. And what was Gideon's uh, response to God's voice? Again, we see this progression in Gideon. Right, as God continues to transform him, how does he respond? The first response is that he follows without question. He does exactly what God tells him to do in the moment God tells him to do it. Right, he no longer is, is deciphering, is this really God's voice? He knows it's God's voice. Right, and he follows through without question. And then when he gets this confirmation from God, he worships God. Right, and that's his, his next response. Right? His natural response is to respond and worship. Right, to give God the glory. Right, and then the third thing he does is he takes action. He does not even hesitate. Right, he goes back to them, get up, we have victory, let's go do this. And he takes immediate action. Again, and what is the lesson for us? The lesson is that the more we progress in our faith journey, that big things become simple. Big things become simple. Now, it doesn't mean that they're not still big things, right? They are, they're still huge things, right? Taking on a countless army with 300 guys, that's a pretty big thing, right? But yet, he does it, and, he, and it seems simple, okay? Because your confidence in what you do makes it so incredibly easy. The key, though, is where that confidence comes from. 
Right? And we see that in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We see the same concept. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Again, how do we know what race has God put in front of us? Because God tells us. Right? And we, we keep our eyes on Jesus, who is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Again, he gets the credit. Right? And the more Jesus is involved, the closer we get to him. And the closer we get to him, the more weight that we strip off and the easier things get to where even big things seem incredibly simple. Again, our faith is fully and firmly in God, and we, we know his voice, and we continue to follow him. Again, and what, what's one of the things that, that brings that confidence in our life and in knowing God's voice is to be surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses. Right? Being surrounded by other believers, by other people who also know God's voice and, and continue to confirm that in you and, and, and brings us that confidence. So my, my question to you today as we wrap up is, who is your crowd of witnesses? But I hope that it's, it's your faith community. It's, it's our, our church. Right? But not just the church, but is it your spouse? Is it your small group? Is it your companion? Is it the people you sit on the road with? Who is your crowd of witnesses? Because they will aid you in your transformation process. Right? And in learning God's voice, because as they're learning to decipher God's voice, they can help you learn it as well. Right? So who is your crowd of witnesses? Right? Can you, do you know God's voice? Will you do the things that Gideon does when he reaches this point? Right? That he follows with that question. He continues to worship God, and then he takes action. So my final thought to you this morning is this. The more you learn to hear and obey God's voice, the simpler the journey of faith becomes. What is weighing down the progress in your journey? What's weighing you down? What's holding you back? All right, is, it, is it listening to too many voices? Is it sin that holds you back? Is it, I don't know what's holding you back, but whatever it is, do exactly what Gideon did. Do what Hebrews tells us to do. Get rid of it. Strip it off. Lay it at the feet of Jesus. Give it to him, right? Move your confidence to him. And as we respond today, I, I just want to challenge you to say, whatever's holding you back in your journey, get rid of it. Leave it at the altar today, right? Maybe what's holding you back is the fact that you don't even know Jesus is your savior. Well, you can correct that today. You can receive him as your savior, right? If you, if you have Jesus as your savior, then again, strip off whatever else is holding you back in your journey and Move forward. And I don't know, maybe you need to just follow without question. Maybe you need to worship, focus more on God. Maybe, maybe it's just time to take action. I don't know where you're at in your journey, but I hope you'll do it today. Get rid of what's holding you back. Lord, that's our prayer this morning, God, that your spirit would come. God, that you would clothe us in your presence. God, so that we can accomplish more than we can even imagine we could ever accomplish. And God, I pray today, Lord, that as we go from here, God, that we would take that torch, God, of your light and your love, 
And God, we would take it into this dark world. God, that we would strip off whatever's holding us back on our own faith journey. And God, that we would continue to be transformed by you. And God, that we would know your voice. God, we would follow your voice and we would take action. And God, through those things, God, that other people would see you in us. God, and that they would come closer to you as well. God, as we go this week, Lord, help us to, to be closer to you tomorrow than we are today. God, to journey forward in every moment as we walk with you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all you do in us. Guide us as we go this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.